Good morning. I wanted to thank Beth and Laurel and you all for inviting me today. In middle school, when Stephanie was organizing a photo for the yearbook for our civics class, each student had an option to participate or not. And if they chose not to participate, they would not have to contribute money towards the photo. The teacher made sure everyone had a vote. I had a hard time in those days figuring out what I wanted to belong to or who I wanted to be with. I knew I wanted to be different, unique, so I chose not to participate in the picture. But then, days later, when everyone in the class gathered to be part of the photo, I wanted to be in the picture. I joined the group of students in formation on the grass in front of the camera. Stephanie gave me a hard time but let it go, and I'm still grateful to her for that. Later on in high school in South Carolina, when I was a skater, that is a skateboarder, I attempted to adopt the hairstyle of famous skaters and surfers of California. I wanted my hair to look like that of the skaters pictured in magazines launched in the air above half pipes or riding along the lip of an abandoned swimming pool. I used sun-in and hydrogen peroxide to lighten my hair and attempted to grow it long on one side so I could flip it back with a toss to the head like that. <laughs> but my hair is thick, not loose and stringy and blonde. It ended up just getting big and reddish. I thought I was being different, claiming my own place. But truly, in retrospect, my hair and how I looked had everything to do with longing. Longing to have a place in a larger group that I admired, the skaters. My friend Rob and I would at times look at each other, and one of us would say, it's so easy to conform. And the other would nod sagely. We thought we were separate, different. And truly, teenagers need to assert their independence and identities and to try things on for themselves. As a kid and a young adult, I learned the story of the path you were supposed to follow. As a student, you study hard, you get good grades, get into a good college. After college, you find a good job and join the global workforce, becoming a small bit player in the larger economy. You could feel proud about this. You had made it. And as a young adult in Somerville, Mass., I felt a sense of joining a large, ethereal thing called the economy. When I heard the Dow Jones Industrial Average announced on the radio, I thought I was part of that. Of course, I recently learned that only about 50% of Americans today are even in the stock market. When Marketplace on NPR played, we're in the money, I believed I was part of the club. But this story provides little that's truly nourishing. With this narrative arc, work becomes central, and everything else is personal, a hobby, a side interest. Art is a great pastime, not a birthright. 
Religion is for Sundays and discussion in the home. Never talk about politics or religion. So where's the meaning-making in that? I developed a kind of individualistic piety, which I think you can observe in religious and non-religious people today. If I washed every yogurt container out and put it in the recycling bin, I had done my part towards saving the planet from being overrun with trash. If I was not mean, insulting, or demeaning towards people who don't look like I do, I was not a racist. If I supported women and respected them, I was a feminist. It was all anyone could ask. If I felt depressed or anxious, perhaps I needed to read a self-help book, see a therapist, or change my habits. Depression or anxiety could never come from outside of the bubble I lived in. I never saw my own feelings and sensibilities as being part of a historical moment, a place in time, linked with other people in a democracy, impinging on other people's lives even as their lives impinged on mine. Our UU fifth principle affirms our commitment to the right of conscience and use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. Even now, when I read this, I think first of myself. I told my wife I was writing about the fifth principle and that it made me think of my rights, my conscience. And she let me know it made her think of the larger nation. She's a wise woman, so maybe my thoughts here today are more my individual take on the fifth principle than I'd like to admit. Yeah, I think first of my use of the democratic process, my vote. I think of my ability to opt out of things that my conscience tells me I shouldn't do or go along with. Of the choice to be a conscientious subjector in wartime. I am free to be me. Robin D'Angelo, author of White Fragility, describes this way of thinking among white people like myself. She says, At the same time that whites are taught to see their interests and perspectives as universal, they're also taught to value the individual and to see themselves as individuals rather than as part of a racially socialized group. Individualism erases history and allows whites to see themselves as unique and original outside of socialization, and unaffected by the relentless racial messages in the culture. D'Angelo helped me realize my place in the larger scheme, how I was part of a historical moment, how privilege had blinded me to my interdependence with others. This realization exposed me to the knowledge that I was not alone, that I had been socialized to believe certain things, but now could see beyond them, and more importantly, could join others in interrupting what I had been socialized to believe. I can't fix racism, or help remedy climate change, or liberate people from concentration camps on the southern border by myself, no matter how pious I might be. I have to throw my energy in with others to work for change. And this is good news. We are not alone. 
As a denomination, I believe we still too often value our individualism more than it's worth, myself included. Reverend Cheryl M. Walker, president of the UU Ministers Association, writes about her rejection of her childhood faith, the Nation of Islam, and eventual move to Unitarian Universalism. She says, I thought UUism offered me the ability to be in community without losing myself as an individual. This faith community would provide me with the safety and security to explore what I believed, not just what I didn't believe, with the hope of putting my beliefs into action to create tangible changes in my personal life and in the world. It offered me freedom, and I dove right in, headfirst into the refreshing waters of UUism. This is the kind of experience probably all of us wish for the visitor becoming a member, a feeling of lightness and refreshment in a new faith. I felt a similar excitement when I first attended a UU church, First Parish in Cambridge. But Reverend Walker also finds what she calls a shadow side. She says, there was no discipline of faith. It required little of me. This group of people had no cohesion beyond a single congregation. And even within congregations, there was little or no cohesion. Everyone had come thinking this religion was made just for them, even those people who had grown up in this faith. Therefore, everyone thought everything should be for them. This wasn't individuality. It was individualism, worship of the individual. I believe this is the great risk of our faith and perhaps of democracy itself, the risk that we don't cohere around anything, that we simply opt out of all commitments beyond ourselves and our interests. We vote individually, and the majority wins. Reverend Walker goes on to say, I love the promise of this faith. But when I, as a person of color, look at us, I wonder, how can we say we affirm our principles and yet fail to accomplish the most simple yet difficult task, creating a community where everyone can come and be who they are? We love our individuality so much we cannot make room for someone else's. We are unwilling to give up even a piece of our individuality created to create a community where all feel truly welcome. Our individuality is something we cherish, again, myself included. But I believe we must cohere around certain beliefs, must put our UU arms to the wheel to liberate those held in camps, to interrupt racism, to fight for this planet to bring to bear all of our collective skills and abilities to build a land where the captives go free. Our fifth principle challenges us to hold in tension the individual search for meaning and the needs for communities, including and beyond us. The interdependent web of being is fragile, ragged and torn with the suffering of migrants, sojourners, pilgrims, Strangers seeking better lives. We must mind our commitments now and cast our lots with what we believe to be sacred and ultimate. There is no neutral place to stand. No waiting to see what happens because it's already happening. We must be 
and act together.